just want to briefly give uh, mention uh, regarding our live stream. I was reminded uh, this morning by uh, one of our, our members who was not able to be here for a few weeks that, uh, that this indeed is a ministry that we continue to have. And I know a number of people that connect with us on a regular basis from quite a distance. So it's a blessing to be able to uh, connect with you um, and uh, to worship the Lord together. And, and thanks to Ben and others who make that uh, possible. Uh, perhaps you've had this uh, experience uh, yourself. I know as a young person, I, I distinctly remember listening in to conversations among adults. Uh, it might have been at a Christmas party uh, or a gathering among family friends, and the subject matter um, was not only political in nature, I remember, uh, but the tone was a bit cynical, defeatist, uh, pessimistic. Now, I'm, I'm sure none of us get that way uh, regarding such matters, but as, as a young person, I remember thinking to myself, I wonder, when I grow up, will I talk about these kinds of things? And will I also get kind of cynical? Well, full disclosure, I've grown up a little bit, and uh, it does happen at times. Right? Every day, people all around the world open newspapers, flip open their laptop, turn on the TV to various media outlets and read about all kinds of things, all kinds of news going on locally, nationally, and globally. And yet few, if any, will ever read what is probably the most important of headlines regarding what is going on in the world. One, the God of Scripture is not disengaged from this world. He's not distant. He's not merely indifferent. He's not aloof about all the matters that one would read in the paper. He cares, and he is engaged. And two, this God governs directly, indirectly, through various means, all things according to his all-powerful providential hand. And with that, we continue in the book of Daniel. We've heard the first half, this second dream that the Lord plants in King Nebuchadnezzar's mind as Daniel and his companions and the southern kingdom of Judah have been exiled. They're in foreign territory, and we see the hand of God going beyond his covenant community into Gentile uh, territory. So we pick up at verse 19 of Daniel 4. Listen now to the word of God. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, that tree is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, 
and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and He gives it to whom He will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And He does according to His will among among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me. I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all His works are right, His ways are just, and those who walk in pride, He is able to humble. There is a very clear lesson that runs through the whole of this chapter. It's repeated three times in verse 17, 25, and 32. It is that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. Central point and lesson that runs through the whole of the chapter. That is, it's not to you, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who has ultimate rule. It, It is the Lord. And for us, it is not you or me who has ultimate rule. It is the Lord, Yahweh. And along with that point is a question. And it's the question the Lord asks when He sees kings or leaders or anyone living their lives as if He did not rule the kingdom of men. And the question is essentially this. Where do you think you are headed with all of your proud planning and building and developing of your empire, or of your own life. To what end? 
That is the question Jesus posed in the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. There in that, in that uh, parable, uh, a rich man's land produced him much. So he built more barns to store all that he had, all his wealth and all his produce. And so he says to his own soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for, for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. And then the Lord says to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. Don't lay up riches for yourself, but be rich toward God. You see, at this point in the king's life, King Nebuchadnezzar's life, the Lord is teaching him a lesson. It's really his final lesson. And in doing so, he is demanding his soul. He wants this king's soul. You noticed that Elder Warren, when he read the first half, the first three verses there mentioned the king saying to all the peoples and the nations how great uh, is the Lord. He said to all the peoples that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. How great are God's signs, mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. That's the end of the story. Uh, The end is put here at the beginning to tell you where things are headed. This king is going to give praise unto God. He's going to be changed. He's going to give sincere worship to the Lord God Almighty. But he tells us now, starting in verse 4, how he gets there. And how the Lord ministers to him to bring him there. And so it's so instructive uh, for us. And so a key verse and word comes in 4, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering. Ease. This is just like the rich fool. In Jesus' parable, he has much prosperity, and so he says, I'll relax. I'll I'll, I'll be at ease. That's not just factual information there in verse 4 about the king. This is the source, this is the core of where his trouble lies. His own prosperity becomes his great danger. And we're told he's standing on the roof of the palace. Can't we picture him? He's looking out over his vast empire. All the hard work and labor he has put into building something. Something great. A great society. A great empire. Surely, he's thinking, this must be the reward of the Most High God that Daniel has mentioned. And that he has recognized, he has acknowledged this God up to this point. But he failed to see that he allowed his own prosperity and his own success to pull him further and further away from real devotion, from sincere thoughts about this Most High God. His greatest passion to build a glorious empire left little room to invest himself in real devotion and knowledge and worship of the Lord. And how easy it is for us, especially if you are someone who has had some kind of success. How easy it is if our hard work has brought brought to us some kind of achievement, stability, whether it's academic, business, or in church, we can not only begin to think, I must be in the right, that, that God would bring such prosperity and achievement, but we can also fall into the danger of allowing that success 
to lead to a sense of ease. Complacency. In this way, our accomplishments can easily divert our attention away from the Lord. Away from having to face really the hard realities of our lives, of our sinful souls. When we've built our own kingdom, it looks, and it looks pretty good, uh, there's little room to give our souls to God and His kingdom. Our first visit to the Cape when we came to New England, uh, brand new to the area, uh, we were headed out for the beach. And I don't remember what beach it was in Cape Cod or on Cape Cod, whatever it is. Uh, but I remember the warning before you stepped onto the beach. Warning, it said, shark-infested waters, swimming prohibited. It's not caution, sharks have been sighted, proceed carefully. No, infested waters. Welcome to New England. No one is going to step in the ocean again. But then you sit down on the sand. The sand feels so good. The sun's beating down on your face. And and the waters look refreshing. Before long, you're out in the water. You've forgotten about the warning. Or you've forgotten to tell your kids about the warning. (laughs) Well, the Lord has been giving warning in various ways to this king. That is what has been happening in the story. And it's a remarkable thing how our God is revealed here in this book to work. How He works and the levels at which our God is working. Why are Daniel and his companions and the southern kingdom in exile in the first place in Babylon? 2 Kings 25, it's the result of the sin and rebellion of the people of God. God is judging His people. He's punishing His people. He's sanctifying His people. Yet their judgment meant at the same time the graciousness of God in making Himself known to this foreign king and beyond. It's significant and it's applicable for us. That in this we see a God who not only has interest in foreign kings those outside His covenant community, but how our God so often will engage people. Whether they are people in His covenant community or outside. Ron Wallace, a commentator, said, when the Lord wants to teach us, convert us, or conscript us for service, He almost always first tries the most gentle way possible. He first reveals His own purposes to us. He tells us what his desires are, what his will is. He first uses words, speaks, right? From his word. Revelation. He seeks to draw us out from within first. This was true of Abram's call, or when the Lord sent Moses back to lead the people of God out of uh, slavery, or when he called Isaiah to, to, to a, to a sinful nation, to a people that would require likely some really tough love and handling. What does the Lord say? But come now, let us reason together. Consider. So God is making known, gently at first, in words, in dreams, the king's need to turn to acknowledge and to trust in the true God. And the dream of this great tree, strong and beautiful, providing food and shade, we have learned that tree represents this king and his kingdom. 
It should remind us of the first dream back in chapter 2. That dream of a big statue. The head of gold of which represented the king in like manner. But then in that first dream, when the king hears about that stone that would be cut out of the statue, a stone that would become this great and everlasting kingdom, crushing all other kingdoms, the king only acknowledges, you could say from a distance, this God. But he does not repent. He does not turn to the Lord in trust. He acknowledges the Most High, but his heart is not turned. There's not contrition. There's not humility and trust in the Lord. He simply goes on his way at that point, continuing to build his kingdom and live life as he sees fit. How much of this is there in the American church today? A mere kind of head nod to the Lord. An acknowledgement of God, but no longer feeling the pain of sin or contrition or need for the grace of God. Sure, the God of the Bible exists, but I have a life to live. I got plans to carry out. I have my own kingdom essentially to serve. That's part of what's going on with Nebuchadnezzar up to this point. Acknowledgement versus deep trust. And an important point here, given that the Lord is revealing Himself and His kingship to this Gentile king, to hear those words repeatedly, the Most High rules the kingdom of men. What a significant, important reminder that perhaps the more or most important battle that takes place in a nation, in our nation, is not between the battle of left and right or middle. It is the battle between up and down. That kings and rulers of the earth below, whoever they be, would acknowledge and turn to the Lord in humility, personally, and in their calling, in their office. We, the church, are the voice to make that known. That's the greater battle. As the psalmist says, blessed is the nation whose God is Yahweh, the Lord. Or Psalm 2, be warned, O kings of the earth, serve the Lord, kiss the Son. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. We are that voice to make known the call to all people to humble themselves before the one true and living God. But King Nebuchadnezzar would not turn. He he was not turning easily. He was not repenting. So the Lord increases the pressure of His hand. That's what's unfolding in chapter 4 here. To humble this king, to bring him low. That's what you have in verses 28 to 34. You shall dwell with the beasts of the field, eat grass like an ox until seven periods of time. Could be seven years, could be a a number simply representing completion. Until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. So the Lord brings this king down to a very, very low point. A point of humiliation. And what was wrong with this king is what is often wrong with us whether it's inside the church or outside the church. People struggle. We struggle. We fail to truly listen to the Word of God, to what the Lord has said. 
the Lord repeatedly has been after this king. He's after his heart. One author says this, if we in the Western world, with all our Christian tradition and our still-functioning churches and our learning and science, insist on going on to build our Babylon without the direction and inspiration of God, there may come under the same hand and providence as once helped us to produce so many things worth living for, a time of much greater deprivation and darkness than we have known for centuries until we learn again His ways. As hard as those words are, perhaps to hear, a comforting word is that the same hand of God that will judge, that will bring low, that will discipline, is the same hand that will comfort and sustain and restore and exalt. And for those whom God calls, who may be brought very low, a period of humbling, some of us may be in a point of real humbling or darkness or bewilderment, that is in order to restore and raise up again. That's what he's after with this king. That's what he's after with his own people, those whom he calls. The hand of God was after this king and after his heart. And his heart is changed. We're going to see next week, fast-forwarding to chapter 5, another king, the final king in Babylon, facing a similar crossroads, But he chooses not to acknowledge. He chooses not to trust. And his end is very different. But Nebuchadnezzar's heart turns. And during this hardest experience of his life, God did something for him that he often does for his people. He provides a counselor, a shepherd, someone to come alongside. Daniel has been that man. Daniel has been with him. He's walked beside him. He's Spoken the truth to him. And here we see the restoration of this king. That's verse 34 and following. I lifted my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. And then what does the king do? He breaks out into praise. That's what you have in 34 and 35. A kind of doxology, psalm, praise. Right before and after uh, that psalm or, or praise that he offers, uh, you have language that his reason returned to him. My reason returned to me in verse 34 and verse 36. It's like a hint to say that one has entered into the right mind when one sees and values and understands everything else in light of God and heavenly realities. The eyes of his heart are open to see reality at its core. Who God is in his glorious character and his works and his kingdom. And what proper fitting response but to then enter into praise of God. My reason returned to me. And then he offers praise and worship. Just two takeaways here as we come to the end. One is the stress on the rule of God. Three times we have heard those words, the Most High rules the kingdom of men. Through Nebuchadnezzar's journey, he's recognized God's rule. But for him, the question was, where is his rule? And up to this point, till he comes to the end, 
he had concluded what many people conclude. Yes, God rules, but it's up there. He rules in the heavens. Nebuchadnezzar had to come to learn and recognize, no, no, he doesn't just rule up there. He rules down below as well. His power, His presence, His reign is here in our midst. Two, what Nebuchadnezzar discovered is what our Lord Jesus refers to as life. Life. In Luke 14, Jesus says, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul or forfeits his life? It's far too easy to be absorbed in all manner of life issues and pursuits. But the neglect, that which is life itself, fellowship with God, fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, to know Christ in His death and His resurrection. What are you pursuing? What am I pursuing? Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for Thy courts above. Let's let's pray together. Lord, how we thank You that You are a God who engages, who initiates, who, who draws near. And Lord, for those You call, You grant grace and mercy. Oh Lord, how easy it is um, to wander. Lord, we feel that in our lives. Pulled to to build and to pursue all kinds of things that that may be in our uh, own interests and our own ambitions, but but Lord, may we may we bring our life before you sincerely and totally, that we may yield to your will and to your purposes. O oh Lord, increase the desires of our hearts that we may go after You just as, Lord, You have gone after us. Lord, we thank You for Your mercies that are new each and every morning. We pray that You would guide us as Your people, that we would know more of, of, of Your grace, more of Your faithfulness, more of Your Word, that it would animate, give life to our souls. Lord, how we praise You for um, Your saving grace in Jesus Christ, this One who reigns above, who reigns here. Lord, may You rule and reign over our lives. We offer these things in Jesus' name with thanks. Amen.